What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Demling here with y'all. As always, we are recapping the first full-ish weekend of college lacrosse. We had noon to, what about, 6, 7 uh, at night games yesterday. We had two uh, afternoon games here on Sunday, and uh, I'm going to get to those first here. So let's talk a little bit about the Virginia Cavaliers taking down the Army Black Knights. And, you know, when this game started, this game uh, face-off was at noon. When this game started a week ago from the start time, this game wasn't even on the schedule. Uh, this is a game that was scheduled uh, announced on Monday, I believe, when Army uh, had to cancel their game against UMass. UMass is on a two-week pause, uh, so they should be back not ne- not this coming week, but the week after. So that would be March 1st-ish that week. Uh, first week of March is when they should be back and playing. We'll have their opening game then. So Army didn't have a game. Virginia had an open week. Let's get together and play our first game in, what, 30-some-odd years? I think it was 1985, maybe late 70s, the last time they played. It was a you know pretty good game. Uh, Virginia gets the 14-9 victory. Um, and, you know, despite Army... You know, being right on the Cavaliers' heels, essentially all game, and Wyatt Schuper with a 12-save performance, uh, and, and overall, I, th- I thought, you know, Army had a pretty solid defensive effort. Um, this Virginia team was just too good at too many spots. Um, this Army team is, is pretty young at a lot of places, they only return, I believe, like three, maybe five full-time starters on both ends uh, combined from last season. So this is a very young Army team. They were scrappy. They clawed back. Um, you know, at the end of the first, it was five to four Virginia. And it looked like, hey, Army is hanging in there with them. Uh, they are right there with them. They were at their necks. And um, the the second the second period of this game was really when you saw both defenses kind of dig in. Because in the first, it was it was goal, 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 goal. It was like watching ping pong. Um, you know, you guys just going back and forth. Um, but in the second, these defenses really, you know hunkered down, and you saw both defenses really start to find their rhythm. Um, And it wasn't until late in the second that Virginia went on that three-goal run. Um, Army just kind of wore down, essentially. And, you know, Wyatt Schuper was getting peppered all game. And uh, 12 safe performance, very... Very good game for the goalie who had a breakout year last year 
as a first-year starter. Um, good game here. Really led that defense. But this Virginia offense was just too much. Uh, Peyton Cormier with a buzzer beater. I think he had two of Virginia's three goals uh, late in that second uh, to put them up 8-4 to four heading into the half. Um, and then Ian Laviano added to that, uh, making it 9-4, to four, uh, making it a five-goal uh, five lead early in the third. Um, you know, Brendan Nickturn, Adam Burns played very well for Army offensively. Nick Turn with two goals, three assists. Burns with three goals, um, including a phenomenal behind the back uh, late in the game. And Army, you know, that third quarter I thought was what killed them. Like, they didn't score at all in the second, but in the third, it, I, you really saw all of their problems, even though they were able to. It was in the third. It, it was four to two, was the point differential in the third. So Army had two, Virginia had four. Even though they were able to get some offense going, um, Virginia was just better. And the clearing game for Army, and this speaks more. This is more of a testament to Virginia's notorious riding game. Um, Virginia held Army to one, one and five in clues in the third, 10 of 19 overall. So Virginia's ride, um, really was effect was, was effective, was efficient, uh, especially in that third quarter, which really, I thought sucked the energy out of that Army offense. Now they were able to, uh, put things back together in the final period, and, you know, they ended the game on a, ended the game on a three, so the final period, you know, it's Army won the final period, the fourth quarter, three to two, um, Charlie Bertrand scores for Virginia, uh, with 58 seconds left to essentially just tie a bow on the whole thing, but Army, um, was able to collect some things, and I thought played well in the in those final fifteen minutes of the game. Um, so definitely nothing to you know scoff at. Uh, losing to a very very good Virginia team like this, um, but when you can't get possession, and PD Lasala went twelve of sixteen at the faceoff dot. Army. Um, they put Pryor out there. He went 5 of 14 as like their primary, and they tried, I believe, five different dudes at the faceoff dot. It just was not working. Peter Gosala is just too good at that spot. Um, Virginia also got a good game from a uh, freshman goalie in there, Bobby Gavin. His first start, 12 saves. 57% save percentage. Just really good all-around game uh, for Virginia. Uh, Peyton Cormier, Matt Moore really leading that offense. And again, we saw the depth of Virginia, the depth this team has, the talented depth that this team has. And they just uh, you know, got out to a lead, and they were not going to let Army come back. And to Army's credit, 
they did. It just w- was not enough. And, uh, you know, maybe if they would have played five more minutes, it would have been a one-goal game. Uh, but Army just did not have enough in the tank. Uh, too little, too late. But this is going to be a good team in the Patriot League. Uh, you know, as we expected, a solid uh, solid defense again, pretty solid offense, a lot of young pieces. Uh, but Virginia today uh, was the better team and the much deeper team uh, talent-wise. About an hour southeast of Charlottesville, we got Richmond and Loyola. And this is one that literally in my recap I said, you know, they opened those seasons with a contest that one could describe as sleepy. Like, I, this game was putting people to sleep. Through the first three quarters, the first three periods, it was 5-3 to three, Richmond. Loyola had two goals in the first, and then Riley C. got the third late in the third. It was like a good 20-some-odd-minute stretch without a goal for, for Loyola. And their offense was not able to get going. However, Sam and, and you know, Richmond was able to, to, to do a lot of things offensively um, as well. But the problem was Sam Schaefer was not letting um, the Greyhound, not letting the Spiders take control of this game. Sam Schaefer, 10 saves in cage, uh, kept that Richmond offense at bay and the Greyhounds in the game for the majority of the contest. Uh, Kevin Lindley, you know, got hot late. Three uh, scored the final three goals of the game. Two in the final. What was it? Two minutes of the game, and then he had the uh, game winner in overtime. Um, you know, again, a very very sleepy game um, for this team. Richmond, they had six different goal scorers in the game. Freshman uh, Luke Graham had a uh, phenomenal game with two goals to lead the Richmond offense. Tyler Schultz uh, Schultz had one goal and one assist. Jack Rustbolt uh, with 12 saves uh, for a pretty good game for him as well. A lot of, I don't want to say a lot, but multiple goalie duel, uh, battles this weekend um, in college lacrosse. And this Loyola-Richmond was one of them. Um, no, this was the opener for both teams. Um, first time that these two teams have ever played against each other. A lot that both of these teams can um, can tune up, uh, especially after this one. Um, you know how poorly, how slow things were early on. I mean, it was two to one Loyola at the end of the first, and you know Richmond gets hot in the. And I don't want to say hot, but, you know, they, they scored some goals in the second and, and early in the third um, to kind of, you know, get ahead there. But they were ahead 5-2 to two early in the third before uh, Loyola uh, finally you know, woke up and uh, found their rhythm. Uh, you know, both these teams going to be very, very competitive in their respective 
conferences, the SoCon for the for the Richmond Spiders, and the Patriot League for the Loyola Greyhounds. Now moving on to Saturday's games, and we're going to start with St. John's and Hofstra. St. John's and Hofstra. If you would have told me at the beginning of this week, Tanner, on Sunday, on the on the weekend recap podcast, you are going to open the segment on Saturday's games with St. John's beating Hofstra in overtime. I probably would have told you you're crazy. But that is what we are doing. Um, nearly 11 months to the day after walking off the field in Queens in their last game of the season, Hofstra and St. John's met again to open the season in Hempstead this time. And things went very, very differently than it did last March uh, when Hofstra beat St. John's 19-9 to before the season was shut down uh, due to the uh, coronavirus outbreak. This was a good game. Start to finish. Like, it was... Now, the defenses were pitiful, but it was back and forth the entire time. Um, Ryan Tierney, phenomenal game career game for the young for the fifth year um senior 11 points eight goals three assists his 11 points are second most in program history for points in a single game and that is true with his eight goals as well second most um single game goals in program History. So phenomenal game for Ryan Tierney. On the St. John's side, the Madsen brothers, Mike and Joe, had five points each. Dylan Willis uh, played phenomenal. Now, by the way, three goals, one assist, played both ways uh, at times at midfield. Um, thought he was probably the most in, one of the most impactful players on the field. Um, outside of Mike Madsen, who uh, hit that game winner to secure their first win over Hofstra since 2018, their first season opening win since 2014. So that is what, 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20? Their first season opening win in six years. Six years is the first season opening win in six seasons. And I believe that one came over, um, so I looked it up yesterday, I believe it came over, uh, it's like Wagner or somebody like that. It was, it was a New York, New York area team from what I remember seeing on it. Could be wrong. I don't have it up right now, but I, Looked at it yesterday just to look at uh, the date. So um, this game was, I mentioned, back and forth. And 
Like, to be honest, um, if overtime wasn't first one to win, I don't know who, who wins this game. Because you look at the final, like, three minutes of this game, and it's, and this is how it had been, but you had had some runs where St. John's went on a run, Hofstra went on a run. Um, and it was like that. But late in the game here, it was St. John's, Hofstra, St. John's, Hofstra, St. John's, Hofstra. Late in the game. And uh, Ryan Tierney got his eighth of the game um, at the 16-second mark. Ryan Schaefer had just tied it up again at the 32-second mark for St. John's. But, as always, there was an answer. And after that tyranny goal to tie it up, you know, they get, I think Hofstra, because Hofstra, and at the face-off dot, they went 70% overall. Hofstra won that face-off, um, and they they went down. I well, Actually, I believe Tierney called a timeout, which, by the way, can we get rid of overtime timeouts in college lacrosse? It's the absolute worst thing ever. The PLL got rid of it. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Take that lead, NCAA Rules Committee. Get rid of timeouts in overtime. Now, the timeout did not work for Hofstra as they ended up turning the ball over. St. John's gets the ball. Guess what? Timeout, timeout, timeout. Jason Miller calls a timeout. They get they you know, get the ball to Thomas Motello, who's a uh, grad transfer from Wesley. A lot of D3 guys, uh, D3 grad transfers, former D3 guys, I should say, uh, had some good games this weekend, including uh, Motello. Uh, he feeds it to Mike Madsen for his, his uh, third goal of the game. Game winner uh, mentioned Joe and Mike Madsen ended the game with five points each. Uh, St. John's had the answer when they needed to, just as really both team had both teams had done all day. So good back and forth one there in Hempstead. Really good one start to finish, uh, especially if you like offensive lacrosse. Now another offense went off down in North Carolina, and it wasn't the Tar Heels. We'll talk about them in a minute. It was the High Point Panthers. Asher Nolting, seven points, three goals, four assists to lead High Point in the win over Robert Morris. 21 to 10 was the final, I believe, and it was 12 to 8 at a half. So this is an offense that just went to work. And honestly, they started they started um really started getting hot 
in the second. But the Colonials always had an answer. They I like they were all consistently no, they they were they showed we're not giving up, we're not giving in. And even when High Point went off like completely midway through the third, you know, they still didn't um they still didn't really give up. I mean they got outscored seven to two in the third quarter alone. Seven to two in one quarter. And seven to three in the first as well. So some big runs for High Point ultimately won them this game. But even at that, uh, Robert Morris uh, definitely you know stuck around. They showed their fight. So kudos to them for that. But that defense just could not handle Asher Nolting, Kevin Rogers, uh, Dalton Silver, a ton of dudes. Uh, you know Brandon Mayer, uh, the freshman out of uh, uh, Ontario. Fantastic game uh, from those guys uh, on that high point offense, and it's going to be interesting to see how they do on Wednesday. Uh, no, Tuesday it is Tuesday um, against North Carolina um, and that defense. So that'll be interesting. Uh, Robert Morris obviously could not handle that offense, and uh, the Colonials early on, you know, struggled just to clear the ball. There was a lot of dropped passes in, in, in transition, and it just was not the best game from the Colonials. Jimmy Perkins, Ryan Smith, uh, you know, played very, very well. Uh, Ryan Smith, six points, four goals to assist. Jimmy Perkins had four goals. So good to see those guys get going. Uh, but overall, this was not a good game for the Colonials, really on either side of the field. Uh, in cage for high point, though, Antonio Arcona making his first ever start. Ten saves in the game. Thought he played very, very well. Um, and even when Robert Morris was pressing, uh, you know, keeping that offense, which is a very high-powered offense, I, I still stand by my statement, this is the best Robert Morris team ever. Still stand by that, but could not get it going on Saturday. And Arcona, uh, you know, despite the you know self-inflicted wounds they may have had um, on you know, either end of the field, Arcona, you definitely have to think, was a part of that really uh, stifling, you know, this stunting this uh, Robert Morris offensive attack. Moving on to um, another overtime game, St. John's Hofstra, Towson St. Joe's, the first two overtime games that Loyola Richmond was the third one of the season thus far. Going down to Towson here, where they beat St. Joseph's 8-7 to in overtime. And um, I'll be honest, I didn't really watch this one until the end, uh, so I just caught the end of it. But uh, Zach Cole, 13 for 18, 72% at the faceoff dot for St. Joseph's. But uh, Towson was able to overcome those faceoff woes, and you know their defense played very well. Um, 
and really you know, hindered this St. Joseph's offense, which I thought was going to be pretty good. Um, eight to seven victory for Towson. Shane Brennan, 11 saves in cage. Uh, played very well. Uh, and then in cage for St. Joseph's, uh, Jack uh, Zulo uh, transferred from Notre Dame. He had 12 saves in cage as well. Uh, played himself a good game. I believe it's his third, maybe fifth game starting. I think he started a couple games uh, during his time in South Bend in 2018, I want to say. He started one or two games and then started one other game. Uh, but So he did get some playing time there in South Bend, but coming to St. Joseph's and taking over as the starter immediately uh, and you know, getting a loss in his first game, uh, despite Zach Cole's dominating performance at the faceoff dot, Towson was able to... Uh, you know, neutralize, or not neutralize, but, uh, you know, overcome that threat and uh, get the 8-7 to seven win. So i uh, got to think that, you know, uh, Towson coming out of this game feeling a lot better <laughs> than they did when they got crushed by uh, Virginia on uh, last Saturday. So um, a turnaround there. And I do want to mention – this is Towson's first win, the first win since March of 2019. Amazing. First win since, excuse me, since April, April of 2019 for the Towson Tigers. Another kind of defensive-ish performance um, up in Rhode Island, uh, a Ocean State rivalry game there. Remember, there's no, unfortunately, there's no Ocean State Cup this year because, um, well, Brown ain't on Bryant's or Providence's schedule, uh, but Providence and Bryant played each other this weekend uh, to open the season in a rivalry game, which, if you watched it, was kind of weird because, um, We've seen different protocols and, and things like that um, for you know, the virus and stuff um, this year. It was weird. Like, they didn't you – no, know, Bryant didn't, like – I don't know if this is a state guideline or what. It looked kind of stupid to me. But, uh, like, they didn't – like, the, the huddle was socially distanced. I'm doing air quotes because they're on the field against each other hitting – but then, no, never, you know, weird, looked weird to me, um, definitely. But uh, the Bryant Bulldogs, no, definitely didn't hinder them as they got the win here. Uh, good win for Bryant as they take down Providence, uh, their rival, in-state rival, uh, one of their in-state rivals, 9-8. to eight. Um, Certainly, I mentioned, there's a couple games this weekend that were goalie battles. Uh, the Towson St. Joe's game, I would define as one of them. Uh, Richmond Loyola, I would define as one of them. And then Bryant and Providence is certainly one as well. Luke Carcello uh, and Toby Bergdorf, uh, Bergdorf for uh, Providence and Carcello 
for Bryant. Both played very, very good. Uh, Carlicello had 16 saves in cage for the Bulldogs. Bergdorf had 12 saves in cage for Bryant, uh, for me for Providence for the Flyers. And uh, this was just a you know a defensive performance in two teams. Providence certainly has a defensive identity. Uh, you know, Bryant has had some good offenses recently. Um, you know, they returned Marco Rourke and got C.J. Carpenter in from Duke as a grad transfer. Neither of those guys played. Um, don't know the reasoning for why they did not play, but they did not play in this game. And so I think that's good that Bryant, you know, it, again, it was a 9-8 to eight victory, didn't even get to 10 goals. Uh, the offense wasn't that good um, in terms of, like, explosiveness and things like that. Uh, but a good sign that they were able to get the victory without two of the more talented offensive players there. Um, and they did have a, you know, I mentioned uh, in goal, Colacholo, how well he played, 16 saves there, uh, really hindered that Providence offense. Um, you also had Nathan uh, Leibert with 12 for 17 at the faceoff dot for Bryant. And Bryant... I don't know what it is. They, you know, Kenny Massa was there, um, and and he was a stud at the faceoff dot. Now they get Leibert, um in there, so I think that that faceoff, tr- that faceoff tradition continues uh, at Bryant with Leibert there. He played very very well. Um, you know, Providence struggled in that area, uh, but overall, like I would define this game as a defensive battle for the most part, a goalie battle to be sure, uh, with Carlicholo and uh, Bergdorf making 16 and 12 saves, uh, respectfully, to the better goalies in their respective conferences. Now let's move on to the blowouts. I literally on my notes here, I just said blowouts is, is what I defined these games as. Uh, Duke, 17-8. to eight. Over Mercer, Michael Sowers, Joe Robertson went off 11 points. Uh, Robertson is back after uh, he had that uh, knee injury last year. Um, so he's back. Michael Sowers played well. You know, you saw everybody on Twitter. Oh, you know, what was that about? He couldn't dodge on turf, whatever. Um, uh, couldn't dodge on grass, whatever. Um, they defeat Mercer. Uh, absolutely pummel the Bears. Uh, still have a good shot uh, competing there in the SoCon. Chris Gray went off again. Seven points, four goals, three assists in a blowout win over Jacksonville, 18-7 to for the North Carolina Tall Heels. And this is a game, actually, that like wasn't too far off early on. Jacksonville really played well. Um, you know, Winston, Nolan, and those guys on offense uh, that were playing very well. Um, but North Carolina is clearly the more talented team in that situation. They played like it. The ride, the Carolina ride, 
absolutely killed the Dolphins. Um, I can't wait for this North Carolina-Virginia game. Honestly. Cannot wait for this North Carolina-Virginia game. Because these teams, from what we've seen so far, obviously, have the best ride of any team I've seen. So Carolina and Virginia play each other on March 11th and April 10th. Circle those games to see some of the best riding attackmen you've ever seen in the college game. Uh, Denver took down Air Force 15-6. Um, Alex Stathakis, solid performance from him at the faceoff dot. You, know, you have to be happy with getting a win like that. And Air Force is a good team. Air Force is a good team. Braden Host played phenomenal in cage, even though giving up 15 goals. But this is a a Denver offense that's just that much better. This is a Denver team as a whole that's just that much better. Uh, so Denver played well. Morrill, Hannah, Walker, Alex, Alex Simmons is back. Uh, he had a goal. Um, so Denver looks like they might be getting on the right track, and you got to feel good coming out of this one, I uh, believe. Uh, so they start Big East play this week, uh, I guess next week. Um, the next weekend they start Big East play, and they open up against Marquette at Marquette, and it's Marquette's first game. So you got to think they'll be in the groove uh, for that one for certain. Last game here, another blowout, uh, Stony Brook 20, Sacred Heart 8. And I normally wouldn't talk about this kind of game, but I got to talk about this one, man. Dylan Palinetti, a redshirt freshman for the Seawolves, uh, spent last year with Maryland as a freshman. Um, six goals, one assist in his Stony Brook debut. It's a record for collegiate debut. Uh, points, excuse me, goals and points, I believe, as well, at Stony Brook. Phenomenal game from Palinetti, one of the best performances of the weekend. Now, as I've done the past few weeks, and I mentioned I'm not going to do it every week, but we will do it for the first big weekend of the season. Who is feeling better and who is feeling worse? After this weekend, um, and I did I left out the like blowout wins because like obviously Duke feels good about themselves, Carolina, Den- like that's obvious, uh, Virginia, like that's obvious. But so going more smaller teams this week than uh, mid-major teams, I should say, than we did um, or have the last couple weeks. So. Who is feeling better? I, you got to think Bryant, High Point, and St. John's. Uh, Bryant, I mentioned, you're missing your top two most talented offensive players. And you're able to get that win. Might not be pretty, but it's a win over your rival. Um, and then you look at what the performance you got in cage and at the faceoff dot, you've got to be happy about that. High Point... Um, you're going in, in to play North Carolina on Wednesday. And you just put up a 20, 
you put up 21 points in your opener against a pretty good Robert Morris team. One of the better mid-majors. You put up 21 points. Coming into Carolina, you have beaten ACC teams in your state before. You beat Duke two years ago. You went to Virginia uh, in 2019 as well, in 2016. So you, you know you can upset those type of teams. And coming off a performance like that, you've got to be energized coming in to Carolina. St. John's. 11 months ago, you lost to this team by 10. And while your defense looked like crap, as well as the other teams, might add, um, you were able to answer and get a stop when needed to get that win. It wasn't the best win as far as you gave up, what was it, 18 points, something like that. Um, but it's a win. And you were able to answer and get it done when you were needed to. So Bryant, High Point, St. John's would be the three teams I would put as feeling better coming out of week two of the season. The two teams feeling worse would probably be Robert Morris and Richmond. Uh, The Colonials, we mentioned them um, a bit earlier with that high point game, and they just did not look good for stretches of that game. They didn't give up. They didn't quit fighting. They seemed to always have an answer offensively. But defensively, they had no answer to a very strong high point offense. So, you know, that is something certainly that uh, you don't feel good about coming out of a game like that. I mean, you gave up 21 points. 21 points in your second game of the season. And uh, you're coming into uh, a game this weekend against Bucknell uh, where you kind of hope to regroup. but uh, you know, you cannot be feeling too good after a 21 to 15 loss. And Richmond, Richmond. I mean, Richmond has a history of dropping games late, and they did that again today. They did that again today. They dropped a game late. Um, you had great play in the first. No, not great, but you had good play in the first half for being your season opener after 11-some-odd months basically off. Like, they looked good. They, they have a solid team. Russ Bolt's good. In Cage, you got Lanchbury. You got all these guys on offense. Mingus on defense. Uh, you're the best team in the SoCon. You're the best team in the SoCon on paper. We'll see how that holds up over the year. But you on paper, you're the most talented team in the SoCon. And you played a very talented Loyola team. And you were able to hold them early on. You were able to hold them. Now granted, it's the opening game of the season for both teams. So it's not going to be the the most crisp lacrosse or the best lacrosse. But you looked good in the first. And then you let it all get away from you. You let it get away from you. Just as you've done in similar games 
over the past few seasons. Letting games get away late. So that's why RMU and Richmond, my two feeling worse teams coming out of the weekend. Bryant, High Point, St. John's. Three teams feeling better coming out of the weekend. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, multiple other podcast platforms. You can leave a five-star review on the uh, Apple podcast. The Apple platform is the only one that allows you to do the reviews uh, that I know of at this point. You can find us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. My personal Twitter is at Tanner underscore Demlin. The website is lacrossebucket.com. Be sure to check out the website this week. Have a lot of stuff coming up early on this week. Um, we got the three stars of the week. Top transfer performances, uh, which mentioned a couple on this podcast um, for who will be mentioned in both of those articles. So uh, have both those coming up. Uh, I am continuing our Black Across Stories series um, for Black History Month. This week we have on Tuesday Dan Williams, a defenseman from Army, and Aaron Jones, a defenseman from Cornell, uh, both played in the mid-80s for their respective college teams. Uh, Last week had, I didn't mention this on last week's podcast, but last week we had uh, Damian Davis, uh, you know, famously stripped Mikey Powell in that, uh, was it 2001 title game? And uh, Johnny Christmas, everyone knows Johnny Christmas, uh, you know, one, one of the, one of the best players uh, Virginia had in those early uh, 2000s helped lead them to a national title uh, there in, was it 2005? I believe it was when John Tillman went off. Uh, so we got Dan Williams coming up this week, Aaron Jones, and then we end the month with Bill Day and Zach Thornton uh, to wrap up our black lacrosse stories, highlighting former black players, and coaches in the game that may be a little more unknown to especially some of the uh, younger audience out there. Again, thank you all for listening. As always, have a great week. We will be back on Tuesday to uh, recap the Tuesday games and can start to preview what is to come next weekend. See y'all.